from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Hello, hello, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show podcast. You have reached us for a lightning round, lickety split, zippity zip, stump the teacher and all that. It's great to have you here. We are having a wonderful day. Uh, we've been taping some other episodes and this is our first one on the uh, lightning round. So thank you for tuning in. No matter where you're tuning in from, whether it's Atlanta or Colorado or New South Wales or Vancouver, it's great to have you here, Dublin and South Africa, all places. Great to have you listening in. I'm joined in studio by KC over in the booth and Rob the Rocket. Rob, tell me something I don't know. Well, I told you this once in a previous show, which hasn't aired yet, but we had that great uh, message from a, a listener who said that her word is obscenity. Yes. It's a great word. Explains that when you talk, yeah, you cuss, but it's warranted and it fits. So I'm looking for a slew of obscenities in this episode. Well, Please was... don't disappoint us. <laughs> I've got plenty of listeners uh, over on uh, Facebook in particular who say I obscenity too many times. Uh, but well, they're, they're wrong then, aren't they? Well, they are forgiving folks. And for the record, that was not my term. That was whoever, uh, I think it was, Annie, was, it? Annie. It was Annie on Spotify. That's what it was. That's what it was. All right, let's dive right in to your questions. I'll need my glasses so that we can get her going. Taking all your questions, relationships, life, career, love, self, whatever it might be. Reverse kind of question here. I'm good at setting boundaries, but I think I have way too many, she writes in capital letters. Help. You have way too many. If you, the first question I would want to ask you is, why do you think you have way too many? What is the indicator that makes you think you're overdoing something? And very uh, more than likely, if you're saying you have way too many boundaries, and the indicator alone is itself, the fact that you see it is answering the question. It's fear. Anybody setting up a lot of boundaries, a lot of fences, a lot of um, boxes that have to be checked is a person that ha likely has fear. And if you have fear, you have past pain, you likely, and that past pain may not just be previous relationships and previous friendships, it may be past pain. In fact, it is in all likelihood finding its origin back in your childhood, that you endured so much pain and that now in adulthood, you're putting up boundaries, why? So you won't get hurt again. We had a, we taped an episode of the show uh, right before this and we had a lovely guest uh, from Australia. And she was telling us that at one point she went no contact with her, one of her uh, parents, birth givers, as uh, she referred to them. And uh, she had to create that boundary. Why? To keep herself safe. And so if we're putting in a lot of boundaries, and to your point, too many, that's an indicator that you're living in a lot of fear. So what do you do? You go inside, you identify what the roots of those fears are, what the things you most fear are happening, where it was in the past that you got hurt, journal that shit out and uh, keep journaling that shit out. And then eventually what'll happen is you'll feel less and less fear. I had a client say to me just this year, and it was such an eloquent way of saying it. Very, very successful woman uh, who had been uh, successful and tough on the outside and great in her work, but in her personal life and in her relationships, she was mush and she admitted it and she was goo and she would do whatever. She was like this wimp by her words, but in work, she was this ferocious tiger. And after working together for, I'd say uh, four or five months, um, she, be, she began to change actually earlier, very, very radically. And then by the end of those, let's say four months, she made a comment. She says, Sven, it's so strange with my employees, 
in my friendships, with my kids, with everyone. It's I'm more vulnerable, but I feel less vulnerable. Isn't that cool? Think about that. I'm more vulnerable with people, but I feel less vulnerable. In other words, I don't have to put on that tough outer shell to protect the goo inside, that I'm strong inside and I can be soft on the outside. I like that. All right, next question. Wife leaves husband for eight months, has two affairs. Is the marriage salvageable? Okay, this is Meg. I'm going to assume that Meg, you're asking this about yourself and you were the one who cheated, okay? Uh, wife leaves husband for eight months, so you are still married during that time, has two affairs, is the marriage salvageable? Uh, listen, I'll be straight up honest with you and say, is there an outside chance? Yes, there's always an outside chance. Is it likely? No, absolutely fucking not. No, likely? No. Do you wanna know why? Two reasons. One, because if it's you that did this cheating, the, the two affairs, you have an astronomical amount of work that can be that needs to be done because the root of your cheating isn't this fucking relationship. It goes, and it isn't your previous relationship. It goes way back to childhood. This is love cup shit 101. And I wrote a book on infidelity and uh, it goes, oh, it always goes back to childhood. If people say, oh, well, what about this in the marriage, that in the marriage, bullshit. It goes back to the stuff that you were taught about yourself and that you need to feel something. And if you're not feeling it now, I need to go and feel it. Furthermore, you didn't stand up and say, I just want to end the relationship. You said, oh, let's take a pause. Well, why? As a way to cover, right? So you can go out and meet some need that's going unmet from back then. But here's the thing. It's also not just the amount of work that you have to do in changing. It's the amount of work that your spouse now has to do. We're talking about you cheated twice. You had two affairs after leaving your husband for eight months. No, this is years with most therapists. Even if they're good, even if they're good at cheating stuff, which it's a small pool. Uh, it, we're talking about years, just not just restoring the trust, but the amount of just inner work and pain and rage that has come out. Is the marriage salvageable? Yes. Is it likely that you're going to salvage it? No. If you stay in it and your partner, it's going to be years of not being trusted. And you're going to be like, well, I'm doing everything right. Why don't you trust me? It's because you destroyed the trust. You're literally having to put it together one grain of sand at a time. That's how powerful this is. Next question. All right. Here's a different one. Mikey Hamaz says, I have a fear of traveling. How do I overcome? All right. There are many different theories on the on this, I am not a psychologist, as you all well know. You've heard me say it a million times. I am a soul counselor. I'm a former clergy person. I've had a soul counseling practice for 30 years. My mother, who died at the age of 93 a couple years ago, she had a soul counseling practice for 65-ish years, was still doing it in her 90s. And that's about going even deeper, going down to the real shit. That being said, how do you, so how, I have a fear of traveling. How do I overcome? Well, what the hell does that have to do with soul counseling? Fear. <laughs> Fear is soul shit, man. That down there is a fear of something happening to you because it likely has happened to you in the past or you have been conditioned to believe that it will happen in the future. And so the, the, the path to overcoming any fear is to go back, trace the origins, you know, like X-Men origins, Star Wars origins. This is the origin series. All right, well, you gotta go back to origins of where this fear came from. You have to go back and determine what the feelings were that accompanied that fear being placed inside of you. 
And, and just for the record, the more you flush that crap out, the less and less of a hold it will have on you. And then you'll begin to take baby steps. There's no rush to do it all in one big thing. There'll be baby steps when you're ready. But the mistake is thinking you need to force it. What you need to do is you need to go back in and find out where the hell this fear is coming from. And that's true of all, all fears. All right, next question. Uh, first of all, I'm gonna take one from Linda. She says, I'm still having trouble following through with journaling. Any suggestions? Yeah, I would journal on why you're having trouble following through with journaling. I'm usually when someone's having trouble with journaling, I'll have, I'll have people say, "Oh, I, I'm no good at writing," or "I, you know, I'm afraid it has to be perfect," or whatever. But what it really is is there's shit in there you don't want to touch. And so what I would want to ask you is, what are you most afraid of touching? What are you most afraid of going into? What are you most afraid of feeling? And or feeling that you're feeling most powerfully right now, whatever it is, or today, or this week. Just, and wherever its source is, maybe it's somebody cut you off in traffic or maybe it's your mother or maybe it's you know your, your coworker or boss or a friend, just write a letter to that person. Let your journaling take the form of letter writing, letters you don't send. That's another way, or write a poem. There's find your format, because for journaling, people find creative ways to do their journaling. Or if you talk, if you can talk your shit out, take your phone with you and talk it all out and do a video. I, I had one person on the show who she and her best friend, they would go for walks and they would video record. They're talking about all their shit and then they would go back and watch it. And it's not just the flushing out of saying it. Saying it's easy. You got to stay in it. You got to see it. You got to hear it again. That's the effect of journaling. That's the effect of counseling It's hearing it back and seeing it back again. Um, and so, but again, the, the real key to breaking through with journaling is going to be identifying what your real fear is and going inside of that journaling. All right. Is there any suggestions for coping skills as I have a court date in November, but discovery questions from his lawyer in a couple of weeks? I feel like I'm in a blender getting spun around constantly. My ex is an extreme taker and is constantly playing mind games and I'm getting bombarded constantly. I think they're trying to break me down and it's extremely difficult to deal with. I guarantee they're trying to break you down. That's exactly what they're trying to do. And they're doing it now because clearly in the past it worked. What you need is someone or some ones, first of all, that you can talk all of this out with and get start pulling all this shit out of you so you don't feel like you're in a blender. You've got to have someone who you trust, who you can bounce ideas off of and who will give you courage and encouragement to do this. This is also another area where journaling is very important. But you've got to stand strong. I just got a, an a email this week from a client going through the exact same thing. Really a former client, but she was checking back in. Exact same thing. Divorce is at a peak and just needing some input. What should I do? What should I do? And I helped her sort it out in 15, 20 minutes. We sorted out this and that, and she felt guilty for standing up. And, and I said, you have every right to stand up for yourself. He's trying to take advantage of you. He's trying to hurt you. He's trying to manipulate you. If you don't stand up for yourself, he will continue to do this. It is at this point because of it being so bad now, because in the past you didn't stand up to him. You didn't punch a bully in the nose. And in life, there are times, unfortunately, when we don't want to do it, but we have to punch a bully in the nose. And what I would offer to you, Shauna, is that you have to stand up and punch a bully in the nose. You have to find that strength because if you back down now, it will only come back again and again and again because he knows he can fuck with you. You have to find your strength. And then on your side time, you have to be flushing out all your fears and all your pains and all your anxieties and all that shit and all the stuff inside you that says, I'm not worth it, I'm no good, my voice doesn't matter, I'm a bad person for standing up for myself. But when you're in the ring, you have to fight. This is one of those times in life where you have to fight. You don't roll over and play dead now. In the ring, you fight. 
out of the ring, you work on the shit that's causing you to be afraid in the first place. All right, next question. How can I effectively communicate my needs and wants, wait for it, avoid confrontation, and not feel selfish? <laughs> How can I effectively communicate my needs and wants, avoid confrontation, and not feel selfish? The mere fact that you're asking how you can effectively communicate your needs and wants indicates that you feel you have not communicated your needs and wants in the past. And if you feel you haven't, you probably haven't. And the reason you haven't in the past is because of the next clause in your sentence, because you've been avoiding confrontation. You've hidden, you've kept down, you've squelched, you've silenced your own needs and wants because you're terrified of confrontation, right? And the third clause, you feel selfish. The truth is you're not actually being selfish because every person has a right to express their needs and their wants, right? And to stand up for them. And so the, the point is, is you're going to feel selfish, but it's not actually selfish. You've been taught to believe that anything you might want or you standing up for your own voice is you being selfish when it's in fact, just you standing up for yourself. And, and the reason you're getting confrontation is because in the past you have been subservient or you've kept your needs and wants and your feelings to yourself. So now you put it out there and the other person pushes back and says, no, fuck that shit. I don't want to deal with that shit. And so you're afraid of confrontation. Why? Because as a child, somewhere back there, you got the message that your voice wasn't welcome. And when you put your voice out there, it was assailed. It was attacked. And that hurt because the underlying message is your voice doesn't matter. So now when you have confrontation, you're, you are at a deep level getting the underlying message, your voice doesn't matter. That's why you're avoiding confrontation, all right? And the truth is this, if we were to think of uh, selfishness on a continuum, okay, and way over to the left is totally selfless, and way over to the right is totally selfish. Now I'm going to give you a visual aid. This is Sven Crapola visual aid. Totally selfless is over here where my pen is. This is totally selfish, and this is totally selfish over here. Now a lot of people spend their lives somewhere over here. If they've been conditioned to believe that their voice doesn't matter, that who they are isn't important, that their wants, their feelings, their needs are unimportant. If they've been attacked, if they've been put down for having feelings, wants, needs, they spend their lives doing what? Or maybe they grew up in a loving home, but they got the message that the way to get love is to give love to someone else. So they become selfless. And what happens when this person does even one little thing to be a little bit, a little bit in the direction of selfish, just a little bit, Guess what happens? All the world comes fighting at him. Oh, you're so selfish. Fuck you. Fuck you. You look at how selfish you are. And they say that because you've normally been way over here, totally selfless. And now you're a little, little bit selfish. And it's not even selfish. Hell, you're not even halfway to being totally selfish. But everyone attacks you because you're acting out of character. Problem was your old character sucked because you were totally selfless. And people love to take advantage of that, but it's a shitty life to live as one who has lived that. But here's the other thing. This person way over here, who's totally selfish or resides somewhere over here, if they do even one teeny tiny little thing that looks selfless, that is moving towards selfless, if they do one teeny tiny thing, do you know what, the, what happens? They say, I am Jesus Christ. Look at how selfless I am. Oh my God, look at how beautiful I am. Look, I, I did something selfless. It's like, no fuck stick. You're not even halfway towards totally selfless. 
You just did one little fucking thing. Okay, so what does that mean? What it means is a healthy, healthy life is this constant oscillation, this constant movement that at times you're very, very selfish and at times you're very, very selfless. Today, I took an entire day. I turned down two clients who had semi-emergencies and I said, no, I need a day. I've been just burning it so hard the last week. I need a day. I said, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow, but I got a taping tonight. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I was, I was selfish, but I knew I had to to protect my energy so that I'm better for all the people that I need to help. But a healthy life isn't just selfless all the time. And it's definitely not selfish all the time. It's this constant movement. And somewhere in there is maybe an, an average of balance. But it's not just balance. I'm sitting in the middle. I'm not gonna be too selfish. I'm not gonna be too selfless. It's, it's all of it, man. This is fucking life. This is life. This is what life is. It's not, oh, if I do something for me, I'm selfish. It's, no, no, no. God, fuck, no. Um, which reminds me of my favorite line from the TV show, The Office. That meme, that GIF, GIF, whatever the fuck they're called, where Steve Carell, Michael Scott is saying, no, no, God, no, fuck, no, God, no, 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 no. Anyway, a uh, little Sam Kinison mixed in there. How do you want to handle this on an audio-only streaming service? How do you mean? <laughs> they can't see you. All right. But I said totally self. I, I get lost. I have people looking at me visually. I got a fucking podcast listening. All right. All my fine humans out there in podcast land. That's why you were looking at me like that. Rob was looking at me like, dude, this is a podcast. Nobody can fucking see you. Unless, unless. See, now we have a new avenue. Unless you go over to YouTube. You can watch all of our all of our podcasts on video on YouTube. YouTube, Rob. I, I fed you a great opportunity for a plug. I'm Man, proud of myself. you put that one softball right over the plate. All right. Um, anyway, it was totally selfless is to the far left, totally selfish to the far right, and then some sort of midway point. All right. A few people saying they have bought the book. A uh, bunch of people actually saying it. If you buy the book, you have to do the exercises. You have to do the questions. That's where the gold is because that's where the concepts of the book meet your actual life. The book is There's a Hole in My Love Cup and it's available in audiobook, uh, ebook and paperback. The audiobook is only available at badasscounseling.com. Uh, the other forms are available there too. There's a Hole in My Love Cup. All right. And uh, Tyra says she just sent the book to a friend. Great resource. Well, thank you very much. We had someone say the other day that they were they took the book to show it to their therapist and the therapist was reading it herself. So... Lots of people out there in the world with poor judgment, Rob. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Let's see. You know what? Rob says there'll be much more to come right after this short break. So I was telling a buddy of mine how he seems happier. He told me about the book that changed his life. So I bit. I went to the Badass Counseling website and downloaded There's a Hole in My Love Cup audiobook. I started listening to it on my commute home from work, and holy cow, it was a Louisville slugger to the face. I literally sat in my car in the driveway, night after night, listening through to the end of a chapter or doing the journaling exercises. My wife started to see changes. I started to change a lot. My default response stopped always being anger. Now I manage a team of salespeople and I changed as a leader. I was listening more, not always just reacting. When their numbers started going up seemingly out of nowhere, I knew what the reason was. There's a hole in my love cup is now required listening for any person on my sales team or working for me, and I gladly buy it for them. You gotta listen to this book. 
This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. All right, we are back with the Badass Counseling Show podcast lightning round. Getting a ton of great questions. We're diving right back in. Here we go. My husband constantly antagonizes our son. Then a fight starts. Help. You say help and your son's soul is screaming help. You have a responsibility to step in and make sure that never happens again. Period. End of story. At all costs. You have a responsibility to protect your son from his own father. It's tragic. It's fucking ugly. It's disgusting that your husband is doing that to his own son, but you have a responsibility to protect your son above all else. Even if it means you eating the bullets, you have a responsibility to protect your son or get your son the fuck out of there. Next question. What's another word for forgiveness? All right, playing a little game here. Here we go. What's another word for forgiveness? Catholic upbringing skews that word. I'm trying the word release, but still, okay. So what Marianne is asking is, what do I do here? You know, my Catholic upbringing, my religious upbringing is telling me that, you know, forgiveness, but it just doesn't, you know, and we get those messages for those who grew up, you know, in religion, we get different messages on forgiveness. If you've grown up Christian, as a former pastor, I can tell you, you know, this forgive 70 times seven and gee, if you want God to forgive you, you got to forgive other people. And you know what? Honestly, as I talk about in my book, there's a hole in my love cup. I tell people that forgiveness is the icing on the cake. Forgiveness is extra. Forgiveness is the cherry on top. Forgiveness is not the point. When it comes to soul health, when it comes to happiness, when it comes to coming alive, when it comes to finally getting your love back, forgiveness is superfluous. There's so many people say, well, you got to forgive. That's the only way. Don't do it for them. You got to do it for yourself. No, bullshit. Why? Because they race to forgiveness as if that's the panacea, as if that's the cure-all. If you just forgive, then it's gone. No, very often when someone is forgiving, they're just stuffing the pain and all the shit back down deeper. That's not healing. (laughs) You're still carrying that shit around. You're still carrying around all the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself. You're still carrying around the fears and the pain and all of it. No, you can forgive. I don't give two shits if you forgive or not. But what you have to do is get out the pain, the fear, the anger, the rage, the sadness, the disappointment, the betrayal, the frustration. All of that comes out. Then decide about forgiveness. If you want to forgive, God bless you. Go for it. Double thumbs up. Fucking A. But so often we jump to forgiveness and the feelings get stuffed down even deeper. It's just, you know, forgiveness is just like fucking code word or fucking bullshit euphemism for I don't want to address the real shit. I don't want to feel the real feelings. So what I recommend, you're looking for another word and instead of forgiveness, I'm recommending the word flushing. So I stayed with the alliteration. We went from forgiveness to flushing. Flush out all the pain, not release as if to pretend, but to go into it and to feel it, to allow all the rage, all the sadness, all the anger, all those feelings I just mentioned, all of it to come up and out using journaling, using therapy, using a trusted friend, using writing letters you don't send. All of these are tools to flush and flush and flush until it is gone. And I get people saying to me, oh, Sven, I've been journaling for years and it just doesn't go away. Yeah, because you're not going deep enough. There's shit you are avoiding. There's the real powerful shit that you don't want to fucking touch, that you're maybe terrified of, or you think you're a bad girl or bad boy for touching or going into. I was, we taped a couple episodes of the show earlier today. And one person was saying, you know, and this was a 
roughly a 40 something year old woman saying, I feel bad speaking ill of my parents because they're my parents and honor your father and mother. And this wasn't even a religious person. It's like, no, if they broke the, the contract by mistreating you, by abusing you, you are no longer obligated to treat them with trust and just wash away their crimes as if it never happened. No, a marriage is a contract. A, a parenting relationship is a contract in which the parent has all the obligation uh, for many, many years, all right? And if they breach that obligation, you're under no obligation to fucking cover their ass. No, they put in an override switch when you're young, basically saying, you know, if you speak ill of me, you're a bad kid. No, I'm not. I'm telling the fucking truth. And that's why you try to keep me down because you know I possess your fucking truth. All right, next question. On YouTube, you talked about Sarah opening her scar box. Now she's referring to a previous episode uh, that we put up on uh, YouTube where all of our podcast episodes are with video. She says, on YouTube, you talked about Sarah opening her scar box. Could you tell us about the process for that, please? Um, it's I don't actually call it a scar box, but I like that name, so I'm gonna run with it. Fuck it. You just gave it to me. I'm, it's mine now. <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, basically, what happens is when something happens traumatic in a child's life, when they're two, four, eight, 12, 15, whatever, what happens is if it, they don't have a safe avenue for getting their feelings, their pain, their hurt, their anger out of them, if it's not safe, safe space, and everybody kids about that word, but it's really true that if you don't have parents or a trusted adult or a teacher, or if you don't have safe space to get your feelings out, which are a natural response to that experience, do you know what happens? Those feelings, that child basically is taking those feelings and putting them in a cigar box and closing up that cigar box, wrapping it up in duct taping, sticking it way down deep inside under the bed next to the Christmas sweaters. Okay, that's the scar box. That's the child's most um, sacred possession. Not the trauma itself. It's the child's response to the trauma. If you were to take a knife right now and, and cut my skin, I would scream in agony. I would probably cry some. And I'd be really fucking angry at you. Those are all three natural responses, right? It's a natural response. One that it's an involuntary response. I can't even, it just comes right out of me. But if I'm taught that I'm not allowed to have feelings, or the second I start to do it, KC over in the booth says, quit being a fucking pussy. I don't want to hear your shit. Or, you know, whatever. Or big boys don't cry. Or your anger's not allowed here. I'll fucking show you anger, little fella. If I get those messages, what, am, what do I do with those natural responses? If, if, if I hit my hammer with a thumb, ow! It's a natural response. If I stub my toe on Marlis Moe, ow. But if I'm not allowed to have that response, what, the, what happens to the natural feeling response? It gets stuffed in, right? Those feelings are natural responses. They can't be made to go away with your brain. They get stuffed down. And if the child doesn't feel it safe, he stuffs down his natural or her natural or their natural response, right? But that box gets bigger and bigger right? If the child is not allowed to let their feelings out, it gets bigger and bigger. Eventually you have to, the child has to rent out a vault to stuff all the feelings in, right? And think about what you're doing. I was talking about this on a previous show, that if, if a parent, if an adult, if uh, someone is teaching that child, they're not allowed to express, which means to push out. The Latin for express is push out. But in fact, they're told to push it down. Do you know what the word is? The, the Latin definition is push down. Do you know what the English word is? Depress. Think about that shit. 
the child is literally being taught to depress depression, depressing their feelings, conditioning a child to depress. Thus, the solution is not tricks and all these other things. It's going in and opening the fucking box. The most treasured possession, that child's authentic self, authentic responses. And the child, as you guys have heard me say it before, that seven-year-old child is bringing that cigar box with all the authentic feelings to you and saying, please, please open the cigar box. I wasn't strong enough. Please. I've been carrying them the whole life, but you're stronger. You're an adult. Please let it out. And the truth is this, if you don't open that box and allow all those feelings to come out, you are now re-victimizing that seven-year-old version of yourself. Now it's you doing it. Now it's you saying your feelings don't matter. Now it's not the world. Now it's you. And yes, it's scary, but it has to be done. That's what healing is. All right. Um, Do you want to describe what is a cigar box for those who may have never seen one? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, a cigar box is roughly the size of a book. Let's say it's six inches by nine inches, roughly. And it's about two, three inches deep. And it has a flap on the top. And it's made out of uh, cardboard, but it's a very, very firm cardboard. Cardboard, And it has the logos of whatever company it might be. So maybe it's Arturo Fuente or Cohiba or Punch or some cigar company, and you open up the flap, you've probably seen it in old movies, and inside of it are all the pretty little cigars lined up, one after another, just waiting for Sven to smoke them. Uh, that's what a cigar box is. Uh, good call, Rob, good call. All right, oh, this is a good one. Oh, this is a good one. My family hates my girlfriend, who I have a son with, and tells me how much they hate her. What do I do? Oh, I love that. I love that so much. I have, I have... Off the top of my head, two clients right now dealing with exactly this. And they are, except the marriage is 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And it goes back to that shit at the beginning of the relationship. When the family was basically trying to alienate the son from the wife. And the son caught in the middle didn't stand up for the wife. And the wife felt like she was on an island all by herself. And the son felt like he was on an island all by himself. And I'm going to just give you my own personal slant here. All right. I'm going to read the question again, then I'm going to give it to you. My family hates my girlfriend who I have a son with and tells me how much they hate her. What do I do? What you do first is you decide, what do you choose? Do you, because there is no middle ground here. Your family has made it clear there's no middle ground. So do you choose your family of origin or do you choose for, you know, do you, for now, do you choose your family of origin? Somebody, one side or the other may come around, whatever. Do you choose your family of origin or do you choose your wife? because you have to choose. Unfortunately, your family is putting you in that situation. And then you choose. Now, in my opinion, who do you choose? You choose your fucking wife. You choose your, or to, as you say, your girlfriend. You made a commitment, you have a son, all right? Now, if you don't wanna be with your girlfriend, well, that's a separate issue. Now it's you saying that, but you're not saying anything about that. You say, my family hates my girlfriend, who I have a son with. If you don't protect your, fam your wife, trust me, your family, your little family that you're trying to create is gonna to go to shit and it's gonna to go to shit very instantly or very quickly. She's gonna to grow to resent you very, very quickly. She will cut you off from sex, not because she's being malicious, but because she has no desire to touch you because she's so hurt by you and she's so angry at you for not protecting her against your own fucking family, that you are choosing your family over her and your son. Guaranteed, fact, done deal, guarantee it. 
If you do not choose her, she will be so wounded and this will tear at the very fabric of your marriage for decades to come. And it'll all come back to exactly this right now. And so you're thinking, well, how the fuck, how do I cut up, say no to my family? How do I cut off my family? You do exactly that. You use the word hate twice, not just once. Do you know how many people I work with who struggle to even say the word hate at all? And in one fucking sentence, you use it twice. My family hates my girlfriend who I have a son with and tells me how much they hate her. You not only have stand up to her, I would honestly recommend for your own fucking sanity, cut off your family and cut off your family from your son because I guarantee they're gonna manipulate your son as your son gets older and they're gonna put pour poison into his ear about his own mother and about his own father because you will soon, if you cut off your family, if you stand up for the person they hate, your girlfriend, if you do that, you will become persona non grata. You will be the person for whom there is no grace. <laughs> you will be the disliked in your own family. And so you, this is why I say you have to fucking choose. Who do you choose, your family or your girlfriend? Because you're trying to straddle the line and love them both. And guess what? It's just destroying your relationship with your wife. So you got to decide which relationship are you willing to let go of? Because I guarantee you, you're going to lose your relationship with your girlfriend over time. It'll be a slower burn in all likelihood. Or you can lose your relationship with your family but in a way you've already lost them because they're hating on the person that you love. And eventually, potentially, the second person you love and that's your fucking son. And you have, a, you have an obligation to him in a way to protect his mother as well as protect yourself because this is obviously tearing apart your own fucking sanity. So if we're considering what's in the best interest of the son, what's in the best interest of the son is that the mom and dad not only are together, or they can be apart, even if you end up divorcing, but that mom and dad are healthy and strong and loving, not just towards the son, but towards each other and in their own lives. Unless you don't wanna be with your girlfriend, I strongly recommend that you step back. And if that requires moving away from, moving away from your family. And if you have to cut off contact, do that. Cause it's, it's gonna kill you, man. I'm telling you, it'll fucking eat away at you and it'll kill your relationship with her. All right, next question. My husband is emotionally distant he gets defensive and isn't affectionate. Are we done? It's been 14 years. Emotionally distant, gets defensive and isn't affectionate. Are you done? Well, my question would be to you, and I know it may sound like a stupid question, but have you put it to him? Have you asked him, you know, will you please, you know, give me love? What's going on? Do you want to talk about it? Now I'm going to assume uh, that you have tried this already. Although you asked the question, you say, my husband is emotionally distant. He gets defensive and isn't affectionate. So it gets defensive. So that means he doesn't want to own his shit, isn't affectionate, affectionate, doesn't want to touch you, and is emotionally distant, doesn't talk about feelings and probably isn't interested in yours. Are we done? I'm going to ask you this question. Are you done? See, the mere fact that you're asking this question says you're close to being done, but you don't know. You want like a, a soothsayer, a fortune teller to tell you whether or not you are done. And what I'm telling you is, I mean, if to, to play the ball as it lies, yeah, unless you can continue to live this way, in which case, no, you're not. But it sounds like you have already brought this stuff to your husband and he has no interest in changing, which is why he's distant. I don't want to change. I don't want to look at the shit you're talking about. Fuck you. I'm not fucking changing, right? And he won't touch you and so forth. So the question becomes, how, the real question is, how long can you take it? And if it gets worse, how long can you take that? And I guarantee it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse by compounded interest. The law of compound, compound interest says what? That if you have a debt and that you take on at 20 years old of $100,000 and you don't pay anything off, that debt 
at 40 years is gonna not be $100,000. It's gonna be $100,000 plus you know 6% interest over 20 years. Now, we don't usually think of compound interest that way, do we? We think, oh gosh, if I invest, you know, Two dollars, two more dollars every single day. By the time I'm, you know, four years from now, I'll be a multi-trillionaire. But what about compound debt? And that's what we're talking about here. That him being emotionally distant, getting defensive, and not being affectionate, the pain of that is only going to increase. Even if he doesn't get more defensive or more emotionally distant, the pain of carrying that burden is going to hurt more and more uh, as time goes on. Next question. I have a toxic, negative, manipulator mother-in-law but my boyfriend loves his mom. What do I need to do? Well, isn't this fascinating that I literally just addressed this question, but from the perspective of the boyfriend? In fact, I wonder if you guys are talking about the same person. Wouldn't that be a trip, Rob? Stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened on this show. Oh, what was that one fucking show? That one revelation. Oh, my, my husband is having a sexual affair with his mother. Yeah. Anyway, we don't. I blotted that out. <laughs> oh God. All right. Anyway, uh, back to it. Uh, I have toxic, negative, manipulator mother-in-law, but my boyfriend loves his mom. What do I need to do? Uh, you need to make continue and do not stop making your needs clear to your boyfriend and stand up for yourself to your mother-in-law. Do not allow her to be toxic. Do not allow her to be negative and manipulating towards you. And do not allow that in your relationship with your boyfriend. Now, uh, very often people will be toxic, negative, manipulating because they want their child back or they don't like you or they want to control things or all these different things. But what you have to do is you have to stand your ground with regard to the mother-in-law, but also with regard to your boyfriend. Here's the bottom line. He loves his mom, but in the end, he has to decide. Just like I was saying a minute ago to the other person who asked this question from the boyfriend's perspective, you have to ask yourself the question, what do I want? You may want your boyfriend, but if it comes with this price tag, you know, I'd love to have a new pair of, I don't know, I'll make something up, Cole Haan shoes. I don't know, that may not even be a good one. Uh, a, a person may want a new pair of Jimmy Choo shoes and they don't make them for men, I don't think so. I, I don't even know what the hell I'm saying here. But if it comes at a price tag of $20,000, do I really want them that badly? See, your boyfriend comes with a very high fucking price tag. And it doesn't sound like he's highly motivated to make her mom, make his mom stop manipulating and being negative and toxic. And if he's not negative, then he's likely not gonna protect you if she turns on you. So he feels caught in the middle, but in a way that's not really your problem. But you have to make your needs known to your boyfriend and persist and do not back down and do not back down to the mother-in-law, okay? And if he doesn't stand up for you, if he doesn't make efforts to change this, then you've got to ask yourself, do I want to be in a relationship with someone where the price is this high? And there's no right or wrong answer. You can choose whatever the hell you want, but you better make sure it's your fucking choice. Because if you're just staying in a relationship and allowing yourself to stay in a relationship like that, even though it sucks and you don't want it, then it's your choice. And why the hell would you choose that? All right. Would you recommend, what would you recommend for a veteran with PTSD feels as if he is unlovable? Okay. First of all, thank you for your service. Appreciate that. And you don't say what country you are a veteran for, but thank you for your service. Um, what would I recommend for a veteran with PTSD who feels as if he's unlovable? First of all, I would recommend that you be in counseling, although I know that a lot of vets are saying that they're not getting their needs met that way. The other thing you can be doing on your own um, is you can be journaling and letter writing. As you guys hear me say a million times, I strongly recommend my book because this gets to the root issue. Your root issue isn't the PTSD, and you even said so yourself. 
you said, what would you recommend for a veteran with PTSD? You didn't say to deal with his PTSD. You didn't ask that question. You said, what would you recommend for a veteran with PTSD who feels as if he is unlovable? Now, I was in the military for a very brief time, right? A few years. But I didn't get any feelings of unlove. I mean, everybody in the military gets a feeling of unlovability when you're going through basic, right? <laughs> uh, it's, you know, part of it. But that's not where you got your feeling of unlovability. You got your feelings of unlovability way back when you were a child. That means if that's where the origin of the problem is, that means the origin of the solution. Because any other solution is going to be a half solution. So what do I recommend? I recommend that you go back in there. Well, how do you do that? Again, you guys have heard me say it a million times, but that's what I wrote my book for. This is 80% of my counseling method in one book. And it will take you back into it. And you have to do the exercises. If you are reading the book, you have to do the exercises. But you have to get in there and be willing to go into where the origins are of that message and all the feelings that accompany it, but also all of the implications of recognizing who taught you that you are unlovable, that you're no good, that you're not good enough. Likely you got messages. Oh, that's not good enough. Or you're a little shit or you're ungrateful or you got to do better. So if you pepper a child with those messages, the child, the underlying message that that child gets is I'm not good enough. I'm no good. I'm not lovable. All right. Okay. We'll take a few more here. How should my sister and I move on after our dad has pushed us away to be with his new fiance and sons? If I have seen this once, I have seen this a million times and it's just gruesome. It's gruesome where someone gets in a new relationship, they have uh, kids from their past relationship and they focus all their attention on the new fiance, the new girlfriend, the new boyfriend and that person's kids. And basically say, push away their own kids and choose these new kids. The, the pain that that causes inside of the kids that are being rejected is enormous. So um, I, I just, I really feel bad for you. I mean that very sincerely. And so you're asking, you know, uh, what do you do? How should my sister and I move on after our dad has pushed us away to be with his new fiance and sons? Um, I wouldn't encourage you to move on. And what I mean by that is I would encourage you to stay in all of your pain. Move on will come when the pain is gone and the underlying message that your father sent to you that you don't matter. All of that is stuff you got to sit in and allow it to grip your soul and allow it to hurt you and allow it to come out and come out and come out until the pain has really gone down. That's how you move on. You move on. It's just like letting go of an ex-lover. You don't let go or you don't move on by trying to let go or trying to move on. You let go by staying in it until all that pain is gone. And it's shitty and it's ugly and you shouldn't have to fucking do with it. And for the record, I'm so sorry. I'm truly so sorry that you have to deal with that. It's so fucking painful to get that rejection from a parent. I just had uh, some deep conversations with one of my kids. And I had to own some shit. And you know what? I'm gonna, I, 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 and I asked my son if I could share this story. I got to tell you this. You want to talk about, I actually, after I heard this the next day, I'm like, I want to do a show on epic parent failures from the perspective of the parent. Not kids saying the epic failures, they're parents, but parents saying they're epic failures. So here's an epic failure on my part. And my son was laughing when, I, when he told the story. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. He was uh, a very, very good baseball player. And he later went on to not play for, but work for the Minnesota Twins, a professional baseball team. Anyway, he was a great baseball player, a very, very good one uh, when he was all of his years. And I'm going to say he was 13-ish, maybe slightly younger. And he was playing third base. He was normally, uh, you know, he was normally uh, third or uh, second 
Um, he was playing third, and it was an afternoon game. And uh, we're out there. I'm out there. His mother and I have been divorced now for years. And his mother's there. Uh, his sister's there. You know, fans. And there's the little knoll there. We're all laying on the knoll or people have lawn chairs. And I, there's a shot crack off the bat. And it goes straight towards third base. It takes a bad hop. My son tries, he has to backhand it with his glove. And it ricochets off his glove and catches him right in the fucking kisser. Right in the mouth. Wait, was it the mouth or the eye? It was the mouth. And he goes down. I mean, just a mean shot straight off the bat to his face. And he goes down and he's down. And of course I go running out. His mother goes running out. And you know, the coaches go running out and we're all out there. And of course the coaches are trained in first aid. And so they're going through their checklists and you know, it's great that they were and so on and so forth. And my son is down for five, 10, 15 minutes, whatever the hell it was. And then, uh, you know, and we're, you know, consoling him and holding him and so forth through it. And then finally, you know, he says, I, I'm good, I'm good. And he had got a chance to let all of his pain out and cry it out and, you know, and uh, right there on the field and his buddies, you know, they were cool and everyone was very cool about it. And, as, and this is my son telling me this. He came up visiting me this weekend, picking up his dog who spends the summer with us and we're playing cornhole and he's telling me this fucking story. And then he says, and pop, you know what you said as we're walking off the field? I said, what? He says, you know, that's what your glove is for. And I'm like, oh no, no, I didn't. <laughs> and he's laughing while he's telling us, he's like, yeah, you did. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, fucking hell. And I said, I said, oh my God. He says, no, 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 I, you had let me, you'd let me cry it out. And I was feeling better. And I was walking on my own volition. I said, what was the tone that you received it in or whatever? He says, I think you were being a little playfully sarcastic, but you know, and, uh, I said, oh my God. He says, no, 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 don't feel bad. So even I, even I, God, I fucked up more than anybody. All right. We all fuck up as parents. And I apologize to him. I said, I'm so sorry. And so forth. And uh, he says, no, pop, it's funny at this point, you know, and he's in his thirties now and so forth. But God, the guilt I felt all weekend after he told me that fucking story. So nowhere, I wasn't really going anywhere with that story, except to tell you that we all make mistakes. We all hurt our kids. We all do. The mark of a good parent is the guilt. The mark of a good parent is further owning it, going back, apologizing, and not just apologizing so that the problem will go away, but apologizing to relieve the child of the pain and letting them tell you the story and how it hurt and why they're mad at you and letting them be mad and take, and as I say to my kids, any rocks that I have put in that burlap sack on your back, every time we hurt someone, it's like we put a rock in that big burlap sack they're carrying around. And with your own kids, you know, they can get to be 20, 30, 40 years old and they have a 500 pound bag of rocks in their back. And I tell my kids, if there's even one rock in that sack, I want it back. I want it back. I put that pain there, I want it back. Doesn't mean you have to yell and scream at me, but if you need to, fucking let it out because my primary goal is your healing. Give me my fucking rocks back. Last question, then we are gonna call it a night. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Oh, uh, this is just an update. Corbin says, I asked a question about jobs a couple weeks ago on a lightning round, and I want you to know I start Gordon Ramsay's restaurant soon. Wow, good on you, Corbin. Wow, that's fantastic. I love hearing those success stories. All right. This is the last question of the night, folks. Why do I feel guilty and manipulative for apologizing like I'm trying to get something out of them? Why? 
well, I would ask you this, are you trying to get something out of them? If you feel guilty and manipulative, uh, it's possible that you are doing it because you feel bad if people don't like you. You want them to like you. You want them to go back to being nice to you. You want them to go back to whatever it was. And so it's not that you're so much owning it as you're trying to get them to forgive you or say to you, oh, it's not so bad, it's not so bad, placate you. In other words, make it more about your feelings than the fact that you've hurt their feelings. But it could also be that you are conditioned to believe as a kid that you're always fucking up and you're always doing something wrong. And so that guilt, that guilt has been implanted since you were a child. And the manipulation is to make that old wound go away, constantly go away. But if you're wanting something out of them, likely you're wanting to restore the relationship so that you can keep getting uh, that love from them. And so what you need to do is look at, you need to go into your own self, Aaron, and determine where those feelings come from that cause you to feel uh, like you're not worthy and or that you need to use others to give, constantly be giving love to you such that you'll even manipulate an apology. Give love to me, give love to me, because that comes from a place where you were taught that you're not good enough and you need to go in and find the origins. Again, that's what the book is for. There's a hole in my love cup. That's what the podcast is for, the Badass Counseling Show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. You can get rebroadcasts of this show. Uh, they're posted up and with video on YouTube. Always, it is, again, Badass Counseling. Thank you so much for tuning in. Rob, any final thoughts today? No, I appreciated the uh, discussion about the uh, roots of subservience because you and I have both been there. We have. Yeah. We have. And what's weird is so many people think men are never there or big guys aren't there or just that it's only a woman thing. And it's so not true, is nope, it? Nope, nope. Wow. And that can be conditioned by family, by religion, by all sorts of stuff, right? All right, Casey, any thoughts? She's shaking her head as always. So thank you everyone for tuning into the Badass Counseling Show. We've had a great, great evening. Thank you. And you can find the Badass Counseling Show on Spotify and Audible and all other, most other podcast sites. Thank you so much. Have a kick-ass night. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Hey.